Thank you, David and Bonnie and Chancel Choir for the incredible music. And uh, thank you all for being here on this Sunday. Our scripture lesson for today is from the book of Esther. Uh, You may have to look that up in the table of contents. It's not one of those that's so easy to find, but it's there, I promise. I had to make sure I had it marked. Uh, Esther chapter 4, beginning with verse 9, and I'm going to read through verse 17. This is just a small portion of the story, and we'll tell more of the story as we go along. You may be very familiar with it already. Esther chapter 4 beginning with verse 9. Hathok went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathok and gave him a message for Mordecai, saying, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone may that person live. I myself had not been called to come into the king for 30 days. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter. But you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that I will go to the king, though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Our theme verse for this Bible school month, if you recall from Ephesians 3.20, now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. June is Vacation Bible School Month at Noonan First United Methodist Church. To emphasize the importance of this vital ministry, we are following the themes of the four days of Vacation Bible School as worship themes in traditional and contemporary connect worship throughout this entire month. We're building our themes around the themes of Bible School, and the title of this year's Bible School is Tomorrow's and Beyond. June 2nd, two weeks ago, our topic was Go Beyond with Faith. And we took a look at that old, old story of Daniel and the lion's den. I hadn't preached about that in years and years. A fascinating story. Last week, of course, was the youth choir homecoming concert. And uh, sorry that I missed that. I was at a homecoming at Midway Church where I served from 1995 to 2004. It's literally midway between Alpharetta and Cumming, Georgia. We're creative in Georgia about how we name communities sometimes. There are places called between because it's between two other places. So, um, But I had a great time over there back in the day, and it had been 15 years since I left there, and it was good to go back, but I miss being here. 
Today, go beyond with boldness from Esther, and we read the passage just a moment ago, and we'll look at it in just a moment or two. Go beyond with kindness next week, and that's the story of the Good Samaritan. That's the name that we've given to that story in Scripture. And then on June 30th, on the fifth Sunday, go beyond with thankfulness, the story that we often tell in November when we're thinking about Thanksgiving Day, about the lepers who were healed and the one out of ten who came back with gratitude. Going beyond, exceeding expectations. Folks like that will always rise to the top, it seems. They're given great responsibilities and they often become great leaders in the process. Others, those who are consciously or subconsciously always wondering, what's the least I can get by with and keep this job? They usually are grouped with the whiners and the complainers in this world. And there are some of those folks around. (laughs) Know anyone like that? Ever seen anyone like that in your mirror? There have been days when I have. Are you sitting next to anybody like that this morning? No, don't raise your hand. I'm just kidding. Uh, Two weeks ago today, as a backdrop for this series, we recall that Old Testament story of Rebecca. Rebecca's selection to be Isaac's wife. Abraham had sent his chief servant to the city of Nahor to find a daughter-in-law for himself, a, a wife for Isaac, to find just the right woman and to invite her to become a part of this wild and crazy family that we follow their escapades in the Old Testament. Rebecca came to the well to draw water. And she offered this servant a drink of water. And that was to be expected. That was hospitality in that day. That was the right thing to do. There's nothing unusual about that. But then she went beyond expectation She exceeded expectation. She said, may I also draw water for your camels? And the story said there were 10 camels. And I have no idea how much a camel that's been striding across the desert can drink. But bringing water in a jug and filling a trough for 10 thirsty camels, that is exceeding expectation. If anything in this world was or is. And she was the one. The servant knew right away, this is the person. And then there was Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel, who by faith was able to move beyond his fears, beyond the boundaries that were constructed by fear. And his faith was so impressive that the monarch, King Darius, was influenced and became a believer in a sense. Too bad and so sad that it did not go far enough beyond. We talked about that how painful it was that the conspirators who had put Daniel in that position, they were thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and their children. A harsh ending to what might have been a great story. Centuries later, there would be another Hebrew man who also exceeded expectations but went way beyond, who was able to say, Father, Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now for today, going beyond with boldness. Bold is defined in this way. Most of you, when you hear the word, we all sort of get it. But it's defined as possessing, requiring, or showing courage. Fearless, spirited, striking. 
It stands out. It's in bold print, bold type. Being bold is generally regarded as a positive characteristic and a noble trait. Bold, for the most part, is able to stay out of trouble. But when bold's annoying cousins show up and they want to be a partner with bold and they want their name on the marquee as well, that's when the trouble often begins. Watch out for bold and obnoxious or bold and arrogant or bold and judgmental or bold and vengeful or bold and egocentric. Those are not good combinations. And I wonder if any of those pairings describe our hero in today's story, Queen Esther. Sunday, September the 30th, and I had to look this back up and check back on my calendar. I preached from the book of Esther and uh, the whole fascinating story I tried to tell in, in one sermon, and perhaps that was too much, but there are three observations from that story that stood out. Let me mention them briefly without plowing up all that ground again. But number one, The Persian king is mentioned 190 times in the book of Esther, the Lord God of Israel, not once. God may not be at center stage, but one writer said that God is in the wings directing the drama and bringing the play to a successful resolution. Maybe. Just because the enemies of God the enemies of God's people, just because they are destroyed in the end does not mean that God approved and may well mean that the actors in this play went off script. Number two, when we scheme to entrap others, we are the ones who often get caught. Haman set out to entrap Mordecai, but Haman became the guest of honor at his own necktie party. Oh, What a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. And then number three, Esther 4.14. Mordecai is appealing to Esther to help spare her people from annihilation. And he says to her, who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity. Perhaps you have come to the kingdom for just such a time as this. Did Mordecai realize That by asking Esther to approach the king, that he was in reality putting Esther's life on the line, putting her in great jeopardy. Esther realized the danger and she went beyond her fear with great boldness. On May 5th of this year, two of our children's choirs presented a delightful musical about the story in the book of Esther. It was a malice in the palace kind of story, and it was, it was wonderful. I don't think there's any danger. I hope there's not any danger of us today becoming estered out and having heard so much about all of this. But let me retell the story again using some words from one of my very favorite writers, and some of you have told me you've read him as well, Frederick Beekner. He has a way with words that in my wildest imaginations I, I can't get. I'm just amazed when I read his work. But he summarized the story of Esther like this. He said, King Xerxes of Persia, otherwise known as Ahasuerus, has the distinction of being the only person in the Bible whose name begins with an X. And then he says, there's not much else you can say about the guy. He was a blowhard and a show-off. And anybody with an eighth grade education, any man, any woman, could have wrapped him around their little finger. There was Haman, for example. Haman was Xerxes' right-hand man. 
And he was a raging, card-carrying anti-Semite. There was also a Jew named Mordecai who lived in the capital. And one day when Haman came prancing by, Mordecai refused to flatten himself out and grovel in the dust like everybody else. It was the break that Haman had been waiting for. He told Xerxes about Haman's, about Mordecai's insubordination and rudeness and said it was a vivid illustration of how the Jews as a whole were a miserable lot. He said, if you let one on men, they brought their friends and Persia was crawling with them. He said the only laws they respected were their own and it was obvious they didn't give a hoot about the king or anybody else. He then said that as far as he was concerned, the only thing to do was to, was to exterminate the whole pack of them like rats. And he offered the king 10,000 of the best for the privilege of organizing the operation. Xerxes pocketed the cash and told him, go ahead. But then there was also Queen Esther, a good-looking Jewish girl who was both a cousin of Mordecai and Xerxes' second wife. As soon as she got wind of what Haman was up to, she decided to do what she could to save her people from the gas chamber. Xerxes had a rather short fuse and you had to know how to handle him, but her strategy, her planned strategy, worked out. And by the time she was through, not only had she talked Xerxes out of not exterminating all the Jews, but also of hanging Haman from the gallows that he had set up for Mordecai. She even managed to persuade Xerxes to give Haman's old job to Mordecai. She was very persuasive with the king. Unfortunately, the end of the story is not so edifying. Think back with me to the Daniel story. Not content with having saved their people and taken care of Haman, Esther, and Mordecai, used their new power to orchestrate the slaughter of 75,000 of their enemies, their old enemies. The whole unpleasant account is contained in the book of Esther which Buechner says has the distinction of being the only book in the Bible where the name of God isn't even mentioned. And then he says, there seems every reason to believe that God considered God's self well out of it. Going beyond with boldness. Is that what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount? I'm thinking specifically about Matthew 5, 43 through 45. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may become children of my Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Mr. Madden was a, an older man in my first church when I was a student pastor. And that summer up around Waco, Georgia, was a dry, dry, hot summer. And we talked about rain like everybody talks about rain, like you can do anything about it. And Mr. Madden's take on it was, well, the Bible says it'll rain on the just and the unjust, and it will get around to the unjust after a while. So uh, I've thought about that often, and I've thought about, thought about Mr. Madden. I wonder if the stories of Daniel and Esther would have ended differently if Jesus had been around. I wonder how many stories on the nightly news would end differently if people would remember and act on the words of Jesus. I wonder how many of us remember and act on the words of Jesus in all of our relationships and how that 
might cause our stories to end differently. Going beyond with boldness, even beyond this very human attitude of wanting to get even and seek revenge. I cannot consider boldness. I can't even think of it in terms of our Christian faith without the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer coming to my mind. And many of you are familiar with his story and have read some of his works. A young man executed by the Nazis in April of 1945 when he was only 39 years old because he had become part of a plot to eliminate Adolf Hitler. His was a boldness unaccompanied by any of the cousins. Obnoxious, arrogant, judgmental, vengeful, egocentric. None of that was a part of his life. And his best-known book is titled The Cost of Discipleship. And in the opening section of that book, it's called Memoirs. It's actually a preface to the book. It functions as a preface. G. Leopold's describes Bonhoeffer's last days. He said, in his hearing before the Gestapo during his imprisonment, defenseless and powerless as he was, and only fortified by the word of God in his heart, he stood erect and unbroken before his tormentors. He refused to recant, and he defied the Gestapo machine by openly admitting that as a Christian, he was incapable of embracing National Socialism and its totalitarian demands on the citizen. Defied it, although he was continually threatened with torture and threatened with the arrest of his parents and his sister and his fiancée, who had all had a helping hand in his activities. We also know from the testimony of a British officer who was a fellow prisoner, we know the last service which Dietrich Bonhoeffer conducted and presided over before his death, a service which moved all very deeply, this guy said, Catholics and Protestants alike by his simple sincerity. We know that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was never tried, went steadfastly on his last way to be hanged and died with admirable calmness and dignity. God heard his prayer and granted him the costly grace, that is, the privilege of taking up the cross for the sake of others and of affirming his faith by martyrdom. When I buy a book, I usually on the inside page, I write the date that I bought the book and I write my name in there. And I purchased my copy of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship on September the 8th, 1980 at a little bookstore in Augusta. My oldest child was three months old. All the world was young, or it seemed that way. I paid $2.95 for the book in 1980, which was sort of a lot of money for a pastor on minimum salary with a baby in the house. But looking back, I think maybe it's one of the greatest bargains I ever encountered. The cost of discipleship, going beyond with boldness. For most of us, that's not martyrdom. But there are times and occasions for all of us when we stand up and speak up and when we walk with those who are neglected and broken and broken in heart. So many opportunities to go beyond what is expected with boldness. Just pay attention. The opportunities are always there.
And now again to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine. Amen.